Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. Believe me. That 350 million pounds a week figure which you have emblazoned on the side of the bus is not the net figure, is it? Yes or no? Did you ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. I made a serious error of judgment and I now understand the consequences. It was a failure of leadership, of my leadership. Mr. Williamson, and please actually, answer the question. Uh, Mr. Williamson, Mr. Williamson, you're not, just not answering the question. By... And I w- Mr. Williamson. I'll tell you what brings politics and debate into disrepute. It's political lying. You're listening to Humble Pie, the podcast about humble people achieving amazing things. Harriet Courage. Welcome to the third episode of Humble Pie. Thank you. Why are you wearing a swimsuit? Because <laughs> uh, I think it looks cool. It's like a cool swimsuit. So I'm wearing oh. it under a jumpsuit in context. So I've kind of got buttons open. Like, you know, you like you wear a strap top or a tank top underneath a jumpsuit. That's my vibe today. Yeah, so what you're saying is you're wearing a swimsuit underneath a jumpsuit. Yes. Okay, so you're both on holiday, but then also in the prison system. (laughs) I mean, I have to say, for anybody that has worn such items, if you want to go to the bathroom, not only is taking a jumpsuit off a pain in the arse, but then taking your swimming costume off as well is another pain in the arse. So basically, it takes me about half an hour just to go, so I have to be really sure. Wow, wow. Um, so sorry, listeners, for um, this random tangent that we've just <laughs> completely careered oh down a road that bears no resemblance to what we're I don't talking know about. How I get myself into these situations. No, I know. Um, me neither. But actually, it, it is significant. Yes, your swimsuit is significant. It Would is you, significant. Tell us why your swimsuit well, is relevant to this podcast. Um, I am wearing this swimsuit because um, I stumbled across this company, Deacon and Blue, because um, I was looking for an alternative swimwear option ahead of my holiday and I wanted to find something that was sustainable but also uh, didn't make me feel like uh, I was uh, showing absolutely every area of my body when I was going to step out in the sun Um, and then I came across uh, Deacon and Blue and they're amazing and we're going to be interviewing the CEO and founder Our guest today is Rosie Cook, and Rosie is the founder and CEO of women's sustainable swimwear brand Deacon and Blue. Rosie believes that swimwear can be both practical and stylish, and that's why she created Deacon and Blue, a swimwear line that's challenging decades-old norms about what women wear at the beach and by the pool. Rosie Cook, welcome to the Humble Pie podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am going to hand straight on to Harriet Courage because I know that she is quite the fan (laughs) of your swimwear. I am. I'm a huge, huge fan um, of Deacon and Blue um, and I'm so excited to have you on Humble Pie. So thank you so much. Thank Um, you. And I suppose the first thing that I just want to kick off with is if we could... Just where did it all start and your kind of journey and how we've got to where we are today? Yeah, and what a great question because I think you might expect the answer to be this, you know, impressive killer um, career in fashion or manufacturing or production or or even swimming. You might even expect I'd be a good swimmer and of course actually none of those things were true sort of three years ago. So I uh, had worked in the city for about five, six years and started swimming for exercise. I loved the idea of adding something to my 
workout routine that was mm-hmm. sort of as much for my mind as my body. So got into swimming and went to buy a swimsuit to wear for my weekly swim and just couldn't find anything. Um, I'm slim but curvy and finding something that offered me support and that felt flattering mm-hmm. but that would also stay in place if I moved in it, whether that was a tumble turn or just you know getting out of the steps without having to hoik it out of my bum. Um, it felt like I couldn't find anything for that suited my needs. I suppose at first I did that thing that I think lots of women do when we're thinking about our own bodies, which was assumed the issue was my body and my problem. But then I spoke to lots of girlfriends and friends over the course of about six months um, and realised actually the problem was something that lots of women shared, whether they bought swimwear just for a sort of holiday once a year or whether they were active swimmers. And sort of I started researching this market and found out that uh, one in two mums don't take their child to learn to swim because of body image concerns and that 500,000 women have given up swimming because of the thought of putting on a swimsuit. Mm. Um, so I realised this was mm. so much more than me and my body and my particular hang-ups. Um, at the time, I sort of tacked a sports bra into a high street swimsuit and adjusted the leg height and asked my my boyfriend at the time, you know, do you think I can wear this to the local pool? I'm not a seamstress. Does it look respectable? And he just said, you're standing taller, you're smiling, you look confident and happy. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred times better than anything else you yeah. can find. Um, and That's so that sort of began the journey. To put the sports bra in the, in the swimsuit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and it's I a like sport, that. right? Swimming is a sport. Yeah, so you want definitely. enough bust coverage, support, yeah. shaping, as you might have in any other bra or sports apparel. Yeah. Mm. So 2017 you launch. Yes. You're there. You've no experience of any of any kind. <laughs> Sorry, if you don't mind me saying no, that. No, absolutely, absolutely. It was completely um, true. But a career in the city doesn't necessarily make uh, for good training for creating a, a swimming no. company. Um, how challenging was that? And how did you find it? I mean, what was where did that fire in your belly come from that just led you to quit your job and decide that? actually, I'm going to do this, it's a problem that needs to be solved and it's going to be me that solves it. Honestly, sometimes when I look back, I think, my God, you know, what? A, what was I thinking? And B, how did I do that? Yeah. Um, and I think there were sort of two parts to it. The first is the sort of practical lack of knowledge or skills or network mm-hmm. um, to know kind of how to navigate through this new world. And the other part was just the mental confidence, having the feeling like you had the right to be in the room. You know, I remember some Mm -hmm. of the first producers, the people that um, run the organisations that make products, some of the first meetings I had with them, I just felt mortified to even be in the room with them because I was sort of pitching this idea that was so fledgling and and I had no real sort of credibility um, for my sort of plans. Um, But I think when you are doing something that is really... When you're, I guess it depends why you're doing something. And because for me, I felt so passionately about this problem, and I and I felt that it just talked to so many. It, it sort of brought together so many issues, sort of women and body image, and sustainability in fashion, mm-hmm. the way that we talk about women's bodies. And I think it just sort of lit this fire in me that once it was started, I just couldn't sort of stop. And I suppose circumstance kind of conspired because. I had reached a point in my career where I was thinking, where do I go next? Mm-hmm. What What is really going to motivate me? And I was looking for something that offered me a different kind of fulfillment. Because although I loved my career and found the work very intellectually fulfilling, mm-hmm. it lacked a sort of purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this, I think things just conspired in the right way. And I had a moment of thinking, 
I'm I was 29 at the time. I thought, if not now, when? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got enough. I've not got huge responsibilities that I could give this a go. And if it all goes wrong, th- that's okay as well. So, yeah. yeah, it was a it was a leap of faith though, definitely. And did you did you have support from from people in the early days? Did you have yourself a mentor? Did you? go and join women in entrepreneurial groups that kind of thing was that helpful and supportive to you as well yeah or? I mean I did and I I mean I have amazing friends and an amazing partner who are sort of chief cheerleaders yeah. um, and actually whenever I'm having a wobble about the business those people are the ones that sort of absolutely are sort of first port of call um I did join sort of entrepreneurship groups mm-hmm. in um based in London I mean the beauty of being in London is yeah. there's you there's a network at your fingertips if you want it um, so I did join those groups and I found individuals within them that became huge sort of, um, yeah, like peer-like mentors or um, cheerleaders and mm. people that I could soundboard with and that kind of thing. Mm. People who I still meet with on a regular basis now. Um, I've never had a, a mentor, although I would absolutely love one. I think that sounds great. And I would I would love <laughs> If anyone out there would <laughs> yeah. like to mentor Rosie, Yeah, we'll send you my direct number. <laughs> I, would, I would love someone to go and yeah sampled those things with but no yeah. so i've i have found in peers an amazing support network mm-hmm. definitely yeah. yeah and were those peers in the what kind of industry were they in? were you were you looking to the fashion industry for help and support or you know where was yeah where good was question actually they were from a range of sectors i mean they were typically female entrepreneurs themselves mm-hmm. setting up businesses some in the fashion space but yeah. um actually across all all different industries and I think actually the challenges that you're facing at that first stage like how do I fund this who are my customers do I have product market fit Mm -hmm. actually it doesn't matter if you're selling fintech insurance or swimsuits yeah those things you can share that um so they they were from a range of backgrounds yeah Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about the the business in uh, the present day sort of three years in yeah so um the full-time employees is is me Mm -hmm. but I have a team of um sort of freelancers that support on different areas of the business Mm -hmm. um I no longer pack every box which I was still doing sort of (laughs) nine months ago which is crazy um and all the stock was in my second room um so now Mm -hmm. we have a team in Devon who pack the orders Mm -hmm. um and they're just in the process of taking over the sort of customer service side of the business but I'm really um protective of those things because um actually our customer service is one of the things i really pride ourselves on um i think women when they're trying on swimwear it's a, it's an incredibly emotional experience and actually yeah. if it doesn't fit you know the e- the emails i receive from women that say it doesn't fit and don't worry it's my problem it's my body mm-hmm. i feel a real responsibility for how we go back to that person mm-hmm. and the language yeah. we use and the message that we share and so it's not a transactional yeah. um interaction and so handing that over has taken a lot of confidence and a kind of a lot of it's it's taken me a long time to feel ready to do that to know that it's in really safe hands and yeah. that my customers will be really well looked after whoever they're dealing with mm-hmm. um but yeah so it's um still small and lean at the moment yeah um which is exciting in some ways and knackering in others yeah <laughs> to be honest. yeah exactly exhausting <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i think you're right though it's important not to dilute that founder mentality that you clearly have and the passion that you have 
for the brand and for what you're trying to do. I think sometimes when you grow too big too quickly, that can be a really common problem with startups, can't it? That you just end up kind of losing the integrity of what you were trying to do in the first place. Definitely. Um, So I think that's just, you know, obviously fantastic that you've tried really hard to find Mm -hmm. the right people that you can hand over to and now only now do you feel comfortable that Mm -hmm. you can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, What about kind of sourcing, like you mentioned producers earlier on, but I was really interested in the sustainability side of things. So obviously um, your suits are made from uh, recycled plastic from the ocean. Is that right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how on earth you came up with that idea and then secondly yeah. where you found it were yeah. you like litter picking on yeah, yeah. Brighton Beach or I, was, I picked up this plastic and I thought you know what this would make no if only and I can only take so much credit for for that so our swimsuits all of our pieces are made from a yarn called Eco Nile that's how mm-hmm. I say it I think that's how it's pronounced yeah um which is a regenerated yarn it's made from industrial plastic scraps um waste that's found in the oceans like old spent fishing nets so old nylon that might have been used mm-hmm. for other purposes got it is literally yeah. gathered clean distilled purified and made into a, a new yarn that actually has even more properties than virgin nylon because of mm-hmm. having been through this process um and actually when i was looking for swimwear fabrics i was visiting trade shows and visiting different suppliers and found a fabric that i loved the feel of um it was a bonded lycra that was thicker than normal lycra and it offered more sort of support and structure. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about what it what it was made of, what it could be made of, and the supplier had this relationship with um, the makers of Econile. And mm-hmm. so we were able to use that to make this fabric. Um, so it's not something we do in-house, um, mm-hmm. although we're really passionate about it. And, I mean, I often say sustainability was never really my primary mission, Um And I'm so thrilled that we're getting sort of recognised for it. But actually, I personally believe that being a sustainable fashion business is, whilst at the moment it's a differentiator, in five years' time it'll just be Um, non-negotiable. It was was a no-brainer to use this yarn that was amazing when when we had the option to. Mm -hmm. How would you kind of describe your leadership style and how do you kind of make sure you get the most out of your team? So I would say... And I think I'm really conscious when answering questions like this that I sit here at sort of 31 feeling like actually I'm still really early on in my career and in my own development. So I hope more than anything else that my leadership style is evolving and that it will continue to do so as I learn and screw up and get things wrong. Um, I think my, and I hope that my leadership style is very collaborative. So I'm not scared of asking for help. And I think some of that is born of having entered an industry where I did not know how, yeah. how things worked. Mm-hmm. Um, it set me up to be in a position where I feel very comfortable asking the stupid question mm-hmm. and knowing that one of the freelancers or the various teams that we work with will almost certainly have the knowledge that I don't. Yeah. Um, so I'm not scared of sort of asking for help and being and, and collaborating. Have you ever been in a situation where someone's made you feel like someone has made you feel shameful about asking that stupid question? You know, I, I suppose yeah, from an outsider, I kind of have like an idea of what the fashion industry is like. And I kind of, mm. I feel like there's, I don't know. Yeah, safer spaces to ask it than others. Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah devil wears Prada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of everyone, everyone outside the fashion industry's perception of the fashion De- industry. Definitely. And I think, I suppose there's something about having those conversations and asking those questions in certain forums. So I yeah. probably wouldn't choose to go to the Copenhagen Fashion Summit and <laughs> stick my hand up and say, what do we mean by sustainable? Um, but I wouldn't feel daunted sitting down with the chair of the Global Fashion Agenda and saying, this is what I think it means. Is that what you think it means? Right. And 
I think I would always sort of do my research and feel that I was still prepared to be in the room, even if I didn't have the sort of technical knowledge. Yeah. Um, in terms of my leadership style, and maybe it's related to that, I think I am, I hope I am very authentic and quite quite emotion-led, actually. And I think something we often try to do, and certainly something that happened in the city, was really taking the emotion out of the sort of professional environment. I know the mm, idea yeah. of someone crying or losing their cool was seen as weakness. Yeah. And actually, I think I just couldn't disagree more with that. I think emotions are what drive us and they're and our if we're having an emotional reaction to something perhaps we're reflecting how a customer might might feel or how somebody in the process might feel and I think Mm. emotions are so powerful so I hope that my emotion my sort of leadership style reflects that as well um yeah there's some of the way does that make sense absolutely yeah it definitely does it's something that we talk about a lot as well is is showing emotion um and Mm, and having empathy yeah yes, being exactly. able to relate to it's a little bit about what you were saying about relating to your customers first and mm-hmm. the people that you're trying to communicate to to serve to support to you know to help at the end of the day and if you mm-hmm. can't empathize with them then that's that's gonna create a real friction in the relationship that just doesn't mm-hmm. need to be there and i think Absolutely. like you say that emotional intelligence mm-hmm. is just super important when it comes to yeah. creating that relationship and then and then building on it as well. And, man- and managing the professional environment because um, I was listening to a really good podcast with Alain de Botton the other day who I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of. And he was saying that, you know, when a newborn baby cries, you would never say, oh, the baby's really just got it really in for me or the baby's just always so rude to me. <laughs> you'd, you'd think, oh, the baby needs feeding or the baby's tired. And actually, if we can if we can sort of interact with the people around us as adults and sort yep. of show some of that same empathy mm-hmm. and sort of understand that, there's very rarely negative intent or malicious intent. It's often, there's usually good reason why people feel feel strong things. And actually those are things to sort of celebrate and, and use to our advantage. So, mm. Did you find that, um, you know, you talked a little bit about working in the city. Did you find that at the beginning you still had a lot of that, you know, city mask on? And did it take you a while to kind of break that down and figure out who you were? Or did you go into it going, this is me and I'm going to put it out there straight away yeah I definitely I think I definitely struggled with that um and there were certain things I sort of you know my background in the city you would you would never say certain things on social media Mm. or Mm -hmm. the idea that you might suggest that your business had got something wrong or that you had made a decision poorly these are the sorts of things you were just cautioned against ever communicating publicly (laughs) and of course whilst I my you know my brand is what I'm building and I would really manage the messaging around that and always want to very carefully um I've realized that actually there's huge opportunity in saying we're learning we're we're, we're not perfect yet we're, we're still working yeah, on yeah. that um but I did wrestle with that um and I think I still wrestle a bit just from an operational point of view you know I wrestle with the fact that you know people just don't reply to emails at the same speed and <laughs> there are typers everywhere um so the, yeah the creative sort of um industry and world it operates completely differently and actually yeah. the rules of the rules of engagement are totally different um mm-hmm. and so it, it takes a while to sort of get used to that and get comfortable with that mm-hmm. um yeah so I definitely wrestled with that and I still do I think mm. deciding that you're going to branch out on your own to do your own thing it's incredibly bold and brave and I feel like we're in this kind of society where everyone there seems to be entrepreneurs everywhere it's almost kind of <laughs> yes. like um uh it just literally can't... Just the new vogue yeah it yeah. is exactly <laughs> and i think it's been really normalized but it's still such a huge 
step. Um, and I wonder how the the mentality of that, going from being in an environment, presumably where there were, you know, tens or hundreds of other people that you could rely on working in a team versus working by yourself on something that you were so passionate about. Um, it must be a massive transition. And how did you handle that? And did it, you know, did it ever or does it ever feel lonely, I guess, as oh, well? Uh, it definitely feels lonely. Mm. And I think of myself as being quite mentally resilient. I think I have pretty good mental health and good sort of confidence in my capabilities in general. Mm. But my goodness, it is the loneliest thing I've mm. ever done. And I think that is probably the hardest thing about running the business is, and it's actually not the big decisions that are tricky. It's not the decisions mm -hmm. around should we fundraise or should we do menswear or, you know, it's not, it's not yeah. those decisions yeah. that um, sort of debilitate you. It's actually often the really small ones that you would turn to the person next to you and say, can I just sense check you on this? Yeah. Like, just run, let me just run that by you. Does that sound sensible? It's, it's that, it's the absence of that interaction, yeah. um, which is tricky and I, I think freelance, the freelance team that we have, and most of them have been with the business for a long time now, certainly since, since we set up, um, I, I have an element of that relationship with them. But it's never the same as someone that is either full-time employed and yeah. sort of 100% skin in the game, or indeed someone who, you know, um, owns a part of the business with you. It's, mm, yeah. it's just not the same. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, yeah. It, is, it is lonely. And... It's hard to know how to manage that, really, mm -hmm. without... Yeah, it's hard to know how to manage that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think co-working spaces, making sure that you have regular meetings yeah. with other people, making sure you're swapping notes with other entrepreneurs, um, not working from home five days a week, all of these are great rules to have in place. Yeah. But I think you mm -hmm. still have to call yourself out on it sometimes when you think, mm -hmm. I'm having a bad day and it's actually got nothing to do with my to-do list. It's mm -hmm. because I've, I've not spoken to someone for five hours. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's like it's reality checking yourself mm -hmm. and thinking that's... That's okay, Rosie. Go yeah. leave the house. Yeah. yeah, I think that self awareness is so important, isn't mm. it? Be being able to analyze the way that you're behaving and then saying, "Okay, I feel like this because this is happening. It's yes. not because I'm going mad or because yeah. I am doing a terrible job or that everything's falling yeah. apart. It's nothing to do with that. It's just you're just having a bad day and you Definitely. just need to go and have a chat with uh, somebody a over a coffee, yeah. another human being. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or take the dog for a walk yeah. or do whatever you need to do yeah. in order to get yourself out of that mindset. I would really like to ask you a question about a time when you've had to eat humble pie, where you've made a mistake yeah. um, or something's yeah. gone wrong. Um, we all do it. Um, and yeah, and what you've learned from it. So there are, there are so many. Um, narrowing it down to one is is a task in itself. But I think there was there is one moment, there's one sort of set of events that at the time sort of just kept me up at night and I cringed about and I still in reflection on reflection think how did I make that set of decisions um and it's a tension I still wrestle a little bit with today but um when we launched our first collection in June 17 um we retouched all the images of our of our models and we had right. um, beautiful models of all shapes and sizes wearing the product um and we retouched everything you know we removed wrinkles we um removed moles and um, goose bumps and right. we didn't alter body parts or make anyone look slimmer than they were or add in muscle definition yeah but we definitely sort of subscribed to that whole perfect image thing mm -hmm. and it, it was actually only months later that it sort of struck me that we just have this huge responsibility as a brand in how we talk about women's bodies and the 
and the the images that we share and it's sort of it's not enough to just say well we're putting it on a slightly larger woman than the rest of the advertising world or mm. we're putting it on yeah. a woman of different um ethnicity or with a different bus size and i think that tension between wanting to create something that is aspirational but making sure that you're really honoring um the sort of values that underpin everything you're doing yeah, mm-hmm. is so tricky and actually it's something i've sort of found in my own um language and my own relationship with my own body i found difficult as well because it's sort of all well and good to listen to our customers and sort of correct mm-hmm. the way they talk about well, not correct but try to um facilitate them talking about the bodies a little bit differently yeah um and then of course i go home and talk about my own body in in yeah. with horrible language and in words that i would never want our customers to use mm. and i've sort of been conscious of myself doing that sometimes with customers at events and thinking mm. you know whilst i feel i absolutely have the right to want to look or feel differently and i think every woman does yeah i have a responsibility in the sort of words i use around that and who i share that with mm. um so um it was a bit of a dawning moment when I realised that we shouldn't have retouched mm-hmm. all our images and um, we obviously don't anymore. On to inspiration mm-hmm. as well. Um, obviously, as an entrepreneur, it must be important for you to continue to read and to listen to podcasts and obviously you must take inspiration from from other people all the time. But is there any advice that you could give to listeners or mm-hmm. any individuals who have really inspired you along the way and have kind of kept you on track um, in doing some of the most challenging moments? Yeah, I mean, I, in terms of my inspiration, I actually look really close to home. I find my immediate girlfriends and um, my partner are the kind of people that I really get my most inspiration from. And I've always wrestled with that kind of who are your role models question Mm -hmm. because I've never found one person that I feel really gets it, has everything that I would really aspire to have. And I suppose there are lots of things you might take from a variety of different people. I love um, the work of people like, and I can never say his name, but I think it's Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, who, you know, is trying to build it. Yeah, Mm. awesome brand and trying to um, run a business that is commercially sound, but genuinely making a difference Mm. and not just doing it in some sort of greenwashing-y way. Um, So I take real inspiration from individuals like that. Um, But then also from um, people much closer to home yeah my immediate girlfriends there are so many people out there who are sitting there at their desk on friday Mm. at five o'clock thinking god i wish i wasn't here and i wish that i was doing something else um it's it's a huge it's a huge step and how do you i guess advice for taking that leap of faith and um sticking with it sticking with your guns going with your gut yeah Um, i suppose you need to have enough conviction and and a real clarity around what it is you're trying to do and why and I think the why is much more important than what mm. and I said for a long time that at the moment we're a business that sells swimwear mm-hmm. actually what I'm trying to do is help women feel great about their bodies and it swimsuits are the vehicle by which we're doing that at the moment whether that will always be the way we do that I, mm-hmm. I don't know yeah um but I think looking at your strengths and what you enjoy I mean I I actually have it on my wall at home I have that sort of two by two Along the bottom axis, I have what I'm good at, what I'm bad at. And on the side axis, I have what I love doing and what I hate doing. Mm. And I am constantly looking at that and trying to make sure that, you know, at least 60% of my week, I'm doing stuff I'm good at and stuff that I love doing. And of course, in any career and in any role, there's always stuff you're not great at and Mm, always stuff that you don't love. But I think the balance needs, for us to feel fulfilled, I think the balance needs to be that we're mostly doing things that sit in that sort of top right. You're good at it and you love it. And 
I use that as a framework on a weekly basis at the moment. Um, and it's a great tool for thinking about, mm. you know, actually in, in an industry where I don't have the long-term experience and skills, what are the things that I really mm. can bring and love doing that mean my business yeah. will will differentiate itself against others? Mm. And so thinking, trying to think, obje- I mean, much easier said than done, but trying to <laughs> um, think objectively yeah. about your yeah. skills yeah. and strengths, I think is, yeah, yeah. And, and not being put off by the industry thing. Mm. I actually think it's been a real strength having not had a fashion background yeah. and having not known anything about manufacturing. Mm. It means I come in and I ask awkward questions and then I get really good answers. And yeah. I'm really putting you on the spot, but is there any like sneak peek that all you can tell us about <laughs> for any upcoming collections or anything? Because, uh, you know, I'm in the market, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, trying to get a scoop. Harry. Great question. There are two immediate answers which are both exciting, I think. So the first is that we're thinking about um, some of our best sellers in the current range and bringing them out in some really lovely autumnal tones. Mm. So, like foresty greens and plums, nice. um, which are really lush. What's what are your best sellers? Uh, our crossback is selling very well at the moment. Okay, our signature swimsuit has always sold mm. well, um, and the swim bra is mm. like, yeah. And the signature swimsuit is that what I'm wearing? No, you're wearing the round neck actually. Oh. I mean, that does sell well. That does sell well. Mm. I like that. I've got a slightly niche one oh there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have mm. you have and then the other exciting thing on the radar although it's much more in my sort of long-term plan mm. is that we're looking at body scanning technology and how you can use that mm. and that becomes like super cool what does that um, mean that's really cool um it means you can you know so you could use body scanning technology to help a customer work out what size they should be oh. or to develop your product based on a better information you around bodies and you're a tech it just made me laugh how baffled you looked by that you so like, like, what i literally was imagining like going and you know when you go to the airport and you have to put your hands up and they go Zoop. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah, you were spot on. Yes. Don't doubt yourself. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I scrap all of that and you're exactly what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, you did. That's, yeah. it, that's incredible, isn't it? That's really cool that they yeah, do that. Yeah, it's super cool that the technology even exists. Yeah. yeah. So, so then I could hmm. obviously get my body scan, know exactly what size I am, go onto your website and be like, that is exactly what I need. In theory, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's incredible. That mm. would definitely solve a lot of my problems, which is that basically whenever I go on holiday, I order five yeah. of, of the yeah. bikini swimsuits in every different size and then attempt to mix and match them. <laughs> and then the others get left until I come back and then I send them back. That sounds about <laughs> right. Just, yeah. Yeah. And anything else that you're excited about that's coming up that you want to tell us about? Mm. Or, um, I don't know, big milestones in the business? Anything anything like that that comes to mind? Um I mean, we're, the business is flying at the moment, which is great. Um, so we're sort of up 300% year on year, which is like Amazing. a really nice number that I like to It's a really about. nice number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I bet you dream it. 300% <laughs> yeah. year on year. I recite that to try and get myself to sleep 300%. 300%. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, big, exciting things that are coming. I think for me personally, it's just about um, getting more of a team and sort of support network mm-hmm. in place so that I can... And start doing some of those other really exciting things like thinking about body scanning tech yeah. and that kind of thing um, and ongoing product development. So mm-hmm. per, for me personally, things like handing over the customer service to, to a really trusted group of people yeah. feels, you know, that almost feels more exciting than the 300% in yeah, some ways. Yeah, huge step. Yeah. yeah, does feel like a big step. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it's 2017 yes. again. <laughs> what would you do differently? Hmm. I... I think the only thing I would do is, uh, although setting up a business is a sort of big leap of faith and it has a lot of risk, I think I'm quite cautious. And I've sort of stepped slowly 
and done things super lean. Mm. And I think perhaps having a bit more conviction that what I was doing, there was a market for it, there were customers mm-hmm. that wanted it, it would work. I think I would perhaps have said, to, I would say to myself, just back yourself, go in a bit harder, yeah. um, leap with both feet, don't try and hold onto something else, just really go for it. Yeah. Um, I would, I would really like to say that to myself, whether I would have listened, you know, <laughs> is, another, is another question. Um, because I think it's so nerve-wracking and you obviously yeah. want to do things slowly and small. Um, but sometimes I felt that our growth has been really constrained by not betting big enough. You know, if you mm-hmm. sell out of a product quickly because you didn't want to stock too much of it, because mm-hmm. you didn't want to hold loads of stock, and then you can't fulfill a load of orders or, yeah. you know, and, and then actually that impacts your overall revenue yeah. for that year. And perhaps we'd be in a different place if I if I had bet bigger. So it's it, those, those are perhaps the sort of things that I would try and do differently. Yeah. And I try to use that learning now. You know, now that I know it works and I know we have avid customers and I know we're solving a problem well, I try when I'm thinking about making a decision to think, is there a 200% version of this that I should mm-hmm. be doing instead of the like 80% yeah. that feels sort of safe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go at 200%. that's a good message i I like it it. yeah um well listen thank you so so much um, for for joining us on the podcast and huge congratulations on your success so far we uh, we cannot wait to see where you go next Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Humble Pie. Um, don't forget to subscribe. We're on all the usual channels, Spotify, iTunes. Um, what else are we on, Sarah? <laughs> all the places where you get your audio stuff. Yeah, basically. Um, and follow us on social so you can uh, keep up to date with uh, our next episodes. We're at Don't Cry Wolf. And uh, any feedback, just uh, send it in. But as long as it's nice, remember, it's got to be nice. Only nice feedback. <laughs>